0: Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So this morning we're going to jump into chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. How many of you read chapter 1 of Philippians? Man, you are in the, in the step in the right direction. If you can read one chapter, you can read one book. All right? Hey, and if you want to know which one to start with, Philippians is a good one. It's only four chapters. Right? If you're saying, hey, man, I'm not one of these novel readers. It's hard for me to read a lot. Start with a short one and then build some momentum there. And uh, how many of you, when you read this last week, there was a few little nuggets that stood out that really wasn't covered in the message, but God showed you something in it. Nobody? Okay, I got two right here. You know, that's and I talked about that's how the Word of God is. It's alive. It's active. It speaks to us in many, many different ways. I don't know if you've ever experienced reading the Bible and you're going through something, and it's like God put it there for you. Or, you know, even sometimes when something's being preached and you said, Pastor, you're all in my business. Did somebody tell you? I said, I didn't receive nothing except by the Holy Spirit. So... If the Holy Spirit wants you to see something this morning, so be it. If the Holy Spirit illuminates or enlightens you to something this morning, so be it. Because He is the, the one who inspires the Word of God and causes it to come to life and, and shows us things. Uh, I remember we used to, uh, you know, on Wednesdays, we would we would recap the service. And I would love to preach those services on Sunday and sit in on the recaps on Wednesday. And I would just sit there and listen. Sometimes it was a home run and you guys got what I was talking about, the topics, the the points and all those things. But sometimes the things that you would receive from it were completely different. And that's how we know the Spirit of God will speak through His Word. He will illuminate what we need to hear. So this morning be it covered in this text or be it not covered in this text, the Holy Spirit is gonna let you receive what you need to receive this morning, amen? So let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for open ears. Father, we pray for receptive hearts, Lord, that your word would do the work that you've developed it and designed it to do. Lord, I pray that this word would be bigger than our minds, bigger than our understanding, but Father, that we would trust it to be true. Father, we wouldn't move a little left or move a little right, but we would apply it according to how you wrote it. And Father, Lord, we thank you for the power to not only hear the word, but to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you ever heard the saying, you know, what good is the word if you don't do it? You know, what good is, is a principle if you don't apply it, right? You know, it, it's and that's what it is. If we hear the word and we do nothing with it, and we kind of just sit it back in our seat pocket before we leave, and we walk away and say, Pastor, that was awesome. We'll see what you got next week. The word is intended to be applied. It's, be, it, it's intended to take with us everywhere we go. So this, this morning in chapter 2, we're going to look at uh, the book of Philippians. So last week, we concluded chapter 1, and we were looking at Paul's guidance on how to conduct yourself. Point at yourself. How to conduct yourself, not how to conduct me. Well, pastor, I think, or hey, you should. No, me, focusing on ourselves. How can we make ourselves conduct our lives in a way that honors God? And it says, in a way that is worthy of the gospel. So chapter two jumps into Paul's initial challenge but he focuses on personal humility and he looks at Christ's humility. So first he says, this is what the model for you should be. And then he says, this was Jesus's model. How many of you know when we see the model of Jesus applied, it's important to pay attention to it. What he did, how he acted, his demeanor, all of those things, it will teach us tons of things. So the book of Philippians, remember it was written by Paul in prison. Right? I don't know if you've ever been locked in somewhere, that's when all your thoughts will kind of come out, but he was in prison, so these, 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 this book was known as a prison letter written by Paul, and it has the consistent theme of joy. It says, count it all joy. This is the book of joy, and I'm going to reiterate just like I did last week, but it was written from prison, so kind of chew on that. You can still have joy and be in the pit, be in jail, and still yet have your joy, Okay, so we're gonna jump right in. We're gonna look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Uh, and, I'm, and we're gonna look at, in the English Standard Version is what I'm using for all these, you're like, hey, you're not using the NIV, you always use it. So we're gonna use the, the ESV. You guys, are gonna, they're gonna pull it up and they're gonna follow me through all that highlighted part this morning. So starting in chapter two, verse one, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also in the interest of others. Verse 5. It says, Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in, uh, found in human form, be, be, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him, uh, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this passage right here is full of of guidance of the model of humility, but not only humanity's humility, but Christ's humility. So we look at that verse. It says, "It says the joy of the Lord complete my joy." you know, is what Paul continually says in this passage. So Paul's joy, we have to realize, in this passage was tied to the unity of believers. So if if you know a pastor or you've ever been a pastor or you've ever talked to a pastor, when there is unity among the believers, life is good. When there is discord and hatred and backstabbing among the believers, it's bad. But we see that, that his joy was tied to the unity of the believers, the, the being connected, the, the, the healthy culture that was being, uh, was being practiced, right? Because it's one thing to talk about a healthy culture. It's another thing to experience it. You know, a lot of people say, we love people. Well, show me you love people. Well, we like each other. We'll spend some time together with each other. Because if you never spend time with someone, how do you know if you like them? All right, that's how you know you really, really like someone, right? Spend some time with them. Right? You ever been there? Like you're like, I thought I liked that person. I didn't really like that person that much. Right? Don't look to your left and to your right. And say huh? Right? If it's your spouse, definitely don't do it. Right? You know, but you know, there's challenges all of the time with with, with getting along. Been there? Getting along takes work. You know, being in unity takes work. For unity to happen, both parties have to be fighting for it. You know, my wife and I, we had, we had the privilege of going to Galveston this weekend. It was like one of those spontaneous last minute Galveston trips. And she's not in here, but I'm going to use a, a life lesson teaching moment. So I planned the trip, spontaneity. She had all these plans. I didn't know her plans. I made plans and our plans were crashing the whole weekend. Almost messed up the trip. I said, well, what's wrong? Well, I don't want to be sitting here. Well, let's get up. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. So you'd rather sit? Man, Jesus, help me. You know, and then, so then she then she made a suggestion, but I didn't like that suggestion. So man, I'm like, and now the kids are like, dad, thanks so much for taking us. This was the best trip ever. I'm like, man, you don't know what's going on going on behind the curtain right now of all the frustration, that unity and being one. And, I, and so like halfway through the trust says, what did we need to do to make this trip better? I'm trying to have vacation, trying to relax, right? I didn't have any drama on my cell phone, but I was living drama with my wife. In that moment, I said, well, you know, like, you know, we don't ever plan like this and how are we gonna pay for it? I said, oh, don't worry about paying for it. I said, I'm just trying to get along, have a good time and kind of both all be going the same direction. So somewhere between the middle of it, she said, I'm not gonna decide nothing. Man, and you know how that face... I'm I'm trying to get red light, green light as I make a choice, and I'm kind of like, I was like, are you happy? Are you okay or what? She's like, I'm not deciding. So, you know, I couldn't, so it was one of, but it was one of those conflicts, right? Of I was sitting too long. We were standing too much. We weren't doing enough. We were doing too much. And you ever been in one of those? That's real life. At the end of the day, guess what? We were still united. We still had a good time. Did we learn some stuff? Oh, Yeah. I said, next time, I'm gonna make a whole list. We're gonna be on the same page. We're gonna tell the kids we're doing nothing until we decide behind the curtain what we're doing. So to be in unity, there has to be grace given both ways. There has to be communication. There has to be a willingness, you know, and uh, I know I wasn't gonna get a divorce over it, right? So I'm in this, I'm stuck to this relationship. It ain't like, well, fine, I'm gonna leave you in Galveston. Man, it'd be a bad day. Where's Miss Becky? <laughs> I left her in Galveston. <laughs> What's she doing? She's spending time with the kids, right? You know, I don't know. But we had to drive back together and the ride home was good. And you know, it's real life. But fighting for unity takes work. And guess what? I love my wife. But there's still conflict. So you got to understand that just because there's conflict doesn't mean we don't love each other. doesn't mean we're walking in unity. But it's that willingness at the end of the day to say, well, that was rough, huh? Yep, we're still in this? Absolutely. See you in the morning. And go to sleep. All right. So we got to fight for that. So let's look at the Christian humility. Let's look at ourselves, and then we'll look at the model of Christ. So notice in in verse two, it says internally, it says the way you think. So it says the same mind and the same love, okay? So it's not everybody, and, and understand this, this is not everybody robotically doing exactly the same thing. It's about pursuing the same goal. The same goal has to be in mind. So football players all have the same goal of scoring points and moving towards the same end zone, right? But they play different positions, different roles. But I hope we're all looking for the same end zone this morning, right? We all want to get to the same destination. We all want to get to the same place. Now, in the Bible, there's a story of of, of when when they were rescued out of captivity and God took them to the desert. You know they wasted, and I'm going to say wasted, 40 years in the desert because they did not learn what God wanted them to learn. To go to the best place possible, you got to learn what God wants you to learn. Because it really wasn't that far, but God took them the long way, hoping they would respond. And guess what? They kept riding that merry-go-round. A whole generation died and a whole other generation was born that had to learn to know God. So if we get so focused on what we want or our comfort or whatever we want and we don't focus on what God wants to show us and respond accordingly, we will spin our wheels, we will waste time and we may never arrive at that that promised land. But I don't like to ride a merry-go-round that long. All right, we're gonna get off? Come on, all right, one, two, three, jump, right? We don't wanna do that, but sometimes our response, God needs you to change. Anything hard in our life is, is going is to cultivate change, but sometimes God puts things in your life to cause the friction to change. If you're uncomfortable, you're going to move. If you're comfortable, you're not going to move. I found that in Galveston. I was too comfortable, right? <laughs> we going to move? I was like, man, kids are playing. I'm sitting like, looks like a great idea to me. Wasn't I, right? Want some movement, all right? Everybody's lightened up this morning? Come on. I don't know what else to do if you're not comfortable and enjoying it, all right? So it says, be in the same mind and the same love. So we gotta have the same goal. It says, be in full accord. What does full accord mean? It means complete agreement. Not bickering, not getting frustrated, not, you know, and and now this is a deeper level than, hey, what are we eating for lunch? Right, I'm talking about a deeper level, maybe, you know, biblical things or parenting or friendship things or things that are right or things that are wrong. You know, this, this is being in complete agreement about the most important things, now, we gotta be careful because how many of you know there are gray areas in the word of God, but then there are things that are very specific where you have to like squint real hard and pay, pretend like you didn't read it to like misunderstand it. There are things written very, very clearly. You should do this. You should not do this. This is acceptable. This is unacceptable. We're all in agreement that some of those things are very, very clear. But yet often, what? Compromise, make our own choice. We say, well... Whatever applies to you, but that doesn't apply to me. Now, you got to be careful with that. Now, there is the thing called a personal conviction, which is an interpretation of Scripture applied, or the Holy Spirit just corrects you right on the moment. Just because it's allowed doesn't mean that you do it. And there's been a lot of things in my life that it is above the line. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, that's pretty religious. It's not very religious, you know, as far as the action of what I'm doing. It's full obedience. There's a difference between being religious and being obedient, Now, religious would just be doing it because I want to be like, hey, look at me. But being obedient is because God said so or because his spirit led me to. Now, just because the spirit of God leads me to doesn't mean that I need to make sure, oh, you do the same thing because the spirit led me. That's a personal conviction. Now, the black and white things we all need to completely agree on. We need to have a same basis, cross, blood, resurrection. We all better be thinking the same way. Well, I don't know about that blood thing or that cross. Why did he have to raise from the dead? Well, you better be glad he did, right? You know, there has to be some fundamental elements that we all agree on. Agreed? If we're gonna be in unity. So as a church, we have to fight for unity. We have to, we have to first make a choice to walk united, but then we have to fight for it. That means sometimes you're gonna have to go get a brother or sister, that means sometimes you're gonna have to yield a little bit and give a little bit. That doesn't mean on the fundamentals, but that means pursue unity with one another. Fight for that unity. You hear somebody talking about somebody or something that they don't need to be talking about, say, whoa, 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 hey, that's not fighting for the unity. Or if you hear it coming out of your mouth, hey, just close your mouth. That is what fighting for the unity of the church looks like. All right? So internally, the way we think, our thought process has to really be aligned with the scripture. What about... Uh, Uh, externally verse three and four so the way you are acting it says do nothing from selfish ambition so do nothing out of a selfish motive you know we are wired selfish what's comfortable for me what do I like you know you know I mean I'm sure if we took a poll we could say oh it's too cold Oh it's too hot split it down the middle well what about what's better for the other person because I think that's when we really, really get somewhere. It's like, what, you know, and, and we, as a church, we have to do that a lot. Okay, we got some camped on this side. We got some camped on this side. Hey, what's, what's appealing to most, right? We're trying to figure out what is, what is what, not out of a selfish ambition of what do I want, but what do the people want? What does the church want? What will help them worship better? What will help them pray? What will challenge them to read the word? All of these things, you know, it's, it's not out of motive to, to force you to do anything but to encourage you to be all that God has called you to be. That's the motive, right? So we don't want to be selfish. We, we don't want to have that motive. And it says, or conceit. So don't be prideful and arrogant. You know, one thing I learned, it's okay to not know everything. You know, I remember uh, at STP, I had a guy telling me about a procedure. And he was telling me all this stuff. And I said, man, something don't seem right. And I called him. I said, hey, man, is that really how you do it? Or are you just like running by the seat of your pants? Because we're about to do something. And he's like, no, man, I don't really know. I was like, idiot. Like, if you don't know, just say you don't know. We could both lose our job by your ignorance, right? So we have to realize, I don't know everything. Guess what? That's okay. God never wanted us to know everything. But, and he didn't want us to be prideful and arrogant. You're arrogant. Have you ever been around some of the, they just, man, they know everything. They got a response for everything. And, you know, I just, sometimes I'm like, I love you. <laughs> I mean, that's just the I'm just like, man, like, it's a one sided conversation. It's like you're going to ask a question and answer it too. I'm just going to sit here and sit on the couch. Let me know when you're done, right? That prideful arrogance, like, man, let's, let's make room for each other. Let's hear each other. You know, if you, got, if you got strengths, great. If you got weaknesses, great. Acknowledge both sides of that, right? You know, God hasn't gifted you in every way, but I believe that he's gifted all of us in a specific way, right? And I thank God for that. There's things that I'm not really that good at. My wife is phenomenal at, and guess what? I have learned to run in my lane, right? I think on my next trip, I'm going to let her schedule the whole thing. She can tell me when I get up. She can tell me when I can sit down. <laughs> That's what I learned. Because really, at the end of it, I didn't really care that much. All right. Count others more significant than yourself. So that means be selfless. Right? Hey, how can I help you? You know, hey, can you, hey, take my seat. My seat's a better seat. You know, I know this one. Hey, you move over here. I know you're getting hit with the air condition right there. You know, whatever you can do to serve somebody else, you know, consider others more significant than yourself. Now, we do this with our children, but will we, do this with, will we do this with our brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, I mean, if my kid's about to run across the road, I'm going to stop them. Whoa, 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 hold, hold on. It's not just my well-being, it's their well-being, and I'm paying attention to what's happening. Are we doing that in the lives of our brothers and sisters? Maybe some are, maybe some aren't. You know, hey, me, myself, and I, as long as I take care of me. Now, you've got to realize, you know that's a culture thing? to be selfish, selfish, to focus on yourself, to not focus on the well-being of others. But what does he say right here? Count others more significant than yourself. It says, don't just look out for your own interest, but also the interest of others. It's important to care for ourselves, but we must also uh, care about the interest of others. Um, There has to be a balance to that, right? I'm not saying, hey, just don't care about yourself, but we need to care for ourselves and also care for others. Your motive, when we say motive, that's the what's in it for me statement. You ever done that? Like, hey, before, hey, well, well what am I gonna get out of this? You're just gonna get the opportunity to serve. Well, well uh, I don't know if I like this church thing. Come on. We're gonna get to Jesus' model in just a minute, and he took, the, he took it to a whole nother level, okay? But you gotta care for others. Be interested in the focus of others more than just yourself, okay? So we, we're held, we, so say, hey, God calls me to be humble, Can you say that? Say, God calls me to be humble. Point to yourself, just in case you're not getting it. Right? You say, Pastor Noah, I'm glad you're humble. No, you need to be humble, okay? I'll deal with my own heart. You deal with your own heart, okay? So we're gonna look at um, Christ humility. So this, it says, have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And this is, a, this is one of the strongest passages in scripture that talks about Christ incarnation when he came, when he was born, all of the things that happened. But it, it's, it's important to realize what did Jesus do? So verse six, the first thing that he said, he never considered himself equal to God or even something to be grasped. That's a strong statement because you know, he was submitted to the Father and he, 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 ne- he never put himself on the same level. Now, we might say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, aren't they equal? Pretty close, right? But he submitted to his Father every single time. You know, so, you know, and I always thought, you know, Lord, you know, Jesus was willing, you know, or was it, did you ask or did he ask and say, hey, I'll go to earth as a man? Like, how did that work? You know what Jesus' response was? Father, whatever you need. Whatever you need. You're God, I'm not. I'm the Son, you're the Father. There was there was a there was a hierarchy of established authority that was never shaken. Guess what? If we if we position that in our lives where we never take the place of God, do you know when you put yourself on the throne of your life in control of it, you have made yourself God? You realize that? You're like, Well, I don't do oh hold on. <laughs> You might do that. When do you make decisions without asking God? When do you take jobs without praying to God first? Why do you, when do you make a purchase without asking God first? And you're like, well, God, where were you then? He's like, I was trying to sit on my throne, but you were in the way. Right? We, we gotta allow ourselves to be under that authority. So that's what Jesus did. He never considered himself equal to God or either something to be grasped. You ever thought about when God takes you through something, you're like, Lord, I don't know about that. I think you might've missed something. You ever been there? Like you think God messed up. He was sleeping that day. He kind of dozed off for a minute and missed something. God does not miss anything. But it's when we think that, that we grasp for taking control rather than allowing God to be in control. What else did he do? He's emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Now that word servant, do you realize in this passage, it is the exact representation of what a servant should look like. So if we ask ourselves, what should we, you know, we say we want to serve, right? So if we say we want to serve, we need to look at the perfect model, which was who? Jesus. What did he do? What did he not do? And he, it says that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of man. You know, I think about that, like, man, I, it's cool to go from this body to a glorified body, Right? Think about it, man, like I can run, I don't have to sleep, I can fly, I can jump, I can hold my breath forever. I I don't know, I don't know what it's like. But to say, you know what? I'll let loose of it. I'll go in the form of a man, in the likeness of man. Verse eight, what is it said? He humbled himself, he became completely obedient. To what extent? Obedient to the point of death on the cross. Now, it's one thing to not know God's plan for your life, it's another thing to know God's plan for your life and Yield to it. If I knew the end was the cross and punishment and carrying on the sins of the world, like, I think as a man, thank God I'm not, you know, I wasn't Jesus, right? But I think about that selfless act because he knew the reason for why he was doing it. It was for you and I. And he realized at that moment, it was worth it. The ultimate price of humbling himself would redeem the world forever, right? He was the perfect servant, even unto death. You know, James 7 or 4.7 and 4.10, it says, Submit yourself then to God. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, we've talked about that principle. Jesus modeled that principle. What did he do? He didn't say, all right, I'm Jesus. Where's my seat? I'm here. Don't y'all realize it? Like, he wasn't cocky. He wasn't arrogant. He was fully submitted to the plan of God. But what do we see? He humbled himself. And then what happened? Let's keep, looking. Let's keep looking at this. Now, as we look through the passages, there is a word that comes up. It says, therefore. How many of you have seen that word in the Bible a lot? Therefore, every time we see that word, we need to pay attention. It is therefore. What, what is it therefore is what we need to say, and we need to look at what follows that. It should be a word that immediately gets our attention. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed uh, the name that is above every name. So he actually placed the name on him higher than any other name. And then there's one more thing, so that. These are two words all through here, man. Pay attention on the front and the back. So that answers the why. Why did he do it? Why did he give him the name above every other name? Why did he do it? Glad you asked. Because at his name, every knee, what will bow? You gotta realize this passage is not a suggestion, it's not a well if they want to. This is, this is a command commissioned word that at the end of it all, every knee will bow. What are you talking about? Every knee will bow. Nobody's going to bow. Okay. It begins to break down the focus points of what is it talking about? First, it says in heaven and then on the earth and under the earth. Oh, hold on. I don't believe in a heaven or hell. Bad day for you. Okay you want some doctrine? There you go. Like it's talking about authority of the heavens, authority of the earth and authority of the earth below. All right. So in heaven, who does he have authority over? Who will bow their knee? All of the angels in heaven. Who, who on the earth will bow their knee? All of humanity, both believer and infidel, righteous and unrighteous. At the end, they will realize who he was, some will rejoice glorifying God. Some will be fearful and say, Man, I messed up. You ever mess something up really, really bad? This is one thing you do not want to mess up. I didn't realize. Man, you better realize. God never lies. When He says He will do something, He's going to do it. When He says so that, this is the promise. All right, and under the earth. So who is this talking about? This is talking about the demons and all lost humanity in hell. Now, I've mentioned previously, I'm gonna mention it it one more time. Do you realize that hell was never built for people? It says that it was built for for the devil and his angels. That was God's heart. So as soon as you start getting it twisted, well, God sure is a bad guy sending people to hell. No, he's pretty good God because he sent his son to redeem you from hell. You gotta look at the cup half full, not the cup half empty. Don't look at what you think God did that was bad. Look and know that what God did was good. Right, but people don't wanna believe. They wanna say, well, I'm my own God. Good luck. Now, how are you gonna get there? Because there's only one gate, and there's only one door, and that door's through Jesus. No other way. Right, so we know that he's given Jesus that authority. And then it says, at his name, Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And what does this do? This brings glory to God. So we see our humanity living out humility. And then we see Christ humanity living out humility, taking it to a whole nother level, taking it even to the point of death and death on the cross. Why? Because his father needed him to. So I I ask you the question, what does God need you to do? To what extent would you lay down your life to serve? You're like, well, I'll be a door greeter. Oh, man, you're really sacrificing. What if he calls you to a third world country? What if he asks you to be a martyr and to lay down your life for the gospel? Would you do it? We hear all of these horrific stories about, you know, just people losing their life for the sake of Christ. Would you do that? Well, if the temperature was the right temperature and I was in church, maybe... Like, you know, we gotta realize, are we really strong in our faith or are we really weak-backed, weak-kneed Christians? I'll tell you what, and I said this last week, if you can't stand for God in the church, there is no way you can stand for God in the world. What does that look like, pastor? Man, when we have an altar call, man, that's me, and you gotta be moving. You're like, well, what if people are, man, you're scared of the church. I mean, you're gonna get eaten up by the world. What? If we judge and we're not humble, and we're not considering our brother and sister as more important than ourselves, we may build a culture that's scary. Or we could build a culture that, man, when there's an altar call, you look to your brother to your left and say, hey, man, is that you? I wanna make sure you don't miss it. Hey, man, is that you? And, man, I'll go up there with you. Man, where we are so concerned about the person to our left and our right. I mean, you know, we can be living easy street knowing we're gonna go to heaven and not care about the person to the left and our right. But if you have somebody to your left and your right, you don't know. I mean, there should be... Concern for the other person would be like, hey, man, if you died right now, do you know Jesus? Pastor, no, he's talking about this heaven and hell. Man, every knee's going to bow. Like, have you already bowed that knee or are you going to be forced to bow your knee? Right? We have the choice now. Make the choice. We know what humility for us looks like. We know what humility for Christ looks like. Let's keep looking at this passage. So, it, you know, in this passage in Philippians two twelve through 18, he continually says, continually conduct yourselves. So he focuses on another. We're just gonna keep unpeeling the onion here, okay? We're gonna let Paul be the bad guy. I'm just telling you what he said. Do everything without grumbling. So let's look at Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, hmm, what's it there for? I'm gonna read it, all right, let's see. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ. Sorry, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering until the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So the first thing it says right here is work out your own salvation. Ooh, what's that mean? Let me work out my salvation. I thought I was saved. You realize when we come to salvation, that is the first step. First step. First step. We're like, man, I made it, I'm gonna go to heaven now. And you know, I, I think in the church, we have created a culture of, of what I call stunted Christianity. I don't know, it biblical, scripture, or whatever, that's the word I came up with, right? We get right past the line and we got our fire insurance so I don't go to hell, but we've stopped there. But following Jesus, it, it's, it's a progression of steps. And we see that even coming to an altar call of, of giving your life to Jesus. It was a progression of steps, of hearing Believing? Well, guess what? Responding? And then what? Get baptized? And then what? Come follow me? And then what? And then what? Right? We see that just in a normal progression. So why would we receive Jesus? Well, I'm not going to work out my fear and trembling. I got my salvation. I'm just going to stop. There has to be a continual working out of whose salvation? Your salvation. Who has to work out that salvation? You do. You better figure out what you believe what you don't believe, and if you believe something, I sure hope it's scriptural, right? So we have to to work it out. This means continually working to bring something of fulfillment, of a fulfillment, of completion. So realize that what I'm talking about, this walking out, this working out our faith, this is not salvations by work only, but this refers to a believer's continual response to an, to an active, continual response in the process of sanctification. What does it mean, Pastor? What are you saying? That's a whole bunch of words. It's saying every time God gives you the next step, say yes. That's it. Hey, get rid of that. But I paid for it. Get rid of it. Yes, okay, mean guy. And then you see the benefits of that, right? And once you got past that and you figured out God's God and you're not, because every time you're like, no, God, I'm gonna take control of this, guess what? You put yourself in the seat of being God. Hey, you know how you messed it up, right? Good luck driving. (laughs) Get in the back seat where you belong. Say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you ask me to do. But it's just actively saying yes every single time because you have to make initial consistent steps in the right direction to get to where you're going. You have to do something, like, well, pastor, on that trip to Galveston, you just wanted to sit there. Hey, you saw what it got me. I needed to be moving, right? Got to get up. Don't stay comfortable. You know, as long as you have breath in your lungs, let's walk this walk. Let's work out this salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Now, that doesn't seem cocky and arrogant to me. Fear and trembling. What kind of fear are we talking about, pastor? In reverence who God is. Trembling because you are, you are yielding to the creator of heaven and earth. If you've never encountered the presence of God like that, ask him to reveal himself to you and then see if you tremble. Right? No flesh will glory in his presence. We see all through scripture, every time somebody encountered the glory, manifest presence of God, what happened? It says they fell face down before the glory of God. So this is, what, uh, this, this, this is the visual I get. You know, you're just walking up. Oh, hey, what's up, God? And whoom. Down. No flesh will glory. You will not stand in his presence. Not that God has to be feared, but we should be fearful of not being obedient to God. And we, would want to pl- we want to please God, right? Think about that next time you choose to do something that doesn't please God. Because not doing what he says shows you are not really concerned about pleasing God. Acts of obedience mean what? I do desire to please God. Okay? So work it out, this is not a passive thing. So, so we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not being boastful, not being prideful, not being arrogant. You know, a healthy fear of offending God, is healthy. You know, I, you know, I thank God that, you know, we're not having a whole lot of these Old Testament things where like somebody had sin in their life, oh, you had it? Ooh, boom, God killed you. Talk about all of a sudden holiness getting right at the altar. Like, man, that's scary, you, Right? where God really held people accountable for sin. And, you know, he said, who did it? You know, and man, you know, it was just, I think you have to, if you've read enough of the Old Testament, you got to realize the God of the Old Testament is still God of the New Testament. Thank God he hadn't struck me down, but he he could, right? So let us walk humbly. Let us tremble. Let us have a healthy, godly fear of who he is. So we realize there's our part. And then guess what? There's God's part. So he does the heart change in you and I. So it says he works in you to will and to work. To will, it means that he actually gives you his desires. Thank God for that. You know, and and hopefully when you receive salvation, you felt some of those desires change. That doesn't mean you're not not living in the flesh where you don't love bacon cheeseburgers no more. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the flesh. I'm talking about that heart transplant that begin to love things that God loves and hates things that God hates. Or things that you just used to do, said, Man, I used to really have an appetite for that. I just don't anymore. I've heard awesome testimonies of drinking and smoking, and it's just gone. Man, that does not happen unless there is an internal change. But guess what? That's what God does. He does the internal work, but we also have to do the external walking it out. Right? Play with fire, you'll get burnt. So, mom always told me, and God thinks the same thing. Right? We have to align our lives to model things that please him. Our life should focus really on bringing him pleasure. Man, would God be okay with this? Does God like this? Should I be doing this? You know, I, I think about that all the time. You know, it says that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Some of us don't believe that, or some of us forget that, or some of us like, hey, God, close your eyes for a minute. Like, I mean, Think about it. Because if, if, if I'm standing right there, let's say I followed you all day long you pull your phone out. Oh, I'm just playing, Pastor. I wasn't gonna look at that. Oh, man, I'm gonna stop. Oh, I I was just playing. I wasn't gonna stop there, Pastor. Your your whole attitude and habits and everything you do would change because I'm right there with you. Well, guess what? Spirit of God lives inside of us. He says his eyes are everywhere, looking over the righteous and the wicked. So we gotta realize, man, you know, he's gonna work that change in us. And you know what's gonna happen when it's something that maybe we haven't really licked it yet, we're still dealing with it? You know what he's gonna put in our heart? conviction towards it. He's going to show us how he sees it, how he thinks about it, and how it breaks his heart. And then once you realize that, you can't keep doing that because you have realized how detrimental it is to your life. You know, everything that God asks us to do, he does it for our own benefit. We think it's because he's a bad, mean God. That's never the case. He knows the cost of a choice. He knows the consequence of a potential sin. Now, I've had consequence for sin and I've had grace for sin where I reap the, the, the consequences of it and then it seems like sometimes I've escaped away with it. But let me tell you what, something that, that the Lord gave me revelation of. You know, the devil will try to cause very little consequences initially so that he will bait you and suck you in and think it's safe and it's okay and it's not gonna cost you your life. You put out free food every single day for a cat. How do you know when he's gonna, when I'm going to set the trap? It's the same way in our own lives. So you're saying the devil covers me? Shoot, I don't know. But I know that he traps that. He puts the snare in place. But if you get comfortable coming back and say, ooh, look, sin with no consequence and the wires get crossed in the way you think, now you think it's safe and then one time you get bitten and it almost costs you your life. Mm. Pastor, I didn't know that's how it worked till I got bit, exactly. But I want you to know how it works. Why? So you won't even entertain the bait. Stay close to what God wants you to, all right? And it says, hold fast to the word of life. Now, I was gonna do, use the illustration. I couldn't find a, I figured all the, all the adults would be in here and there's no kids. But, you know, if you could visualize a pull-up bar and I ain't gonna get you to do a pull-up, I'm just gonna get you to hang on to that sucker. You know, and man, if I could get one high enough, I was gonna get somebody to just hold on to it. I said, just hold on to it. So visualize somebody holding on to that pole. I said, grip down and don't let go. All right, hold on. And there's, he's sitting there struggling. And then you wouldn't listen to my message no more because you'd be watching this guy struggling. But it says, it says, hold fast to the word of life. Grip down on it. Now, what happens the longer that person were to struggle? Pastor, I'm losing my grip. Hey, grip down, keep holding on. Hold on to it like your life depended on it. Now, I tell you what, if he's just hanging from a pull-up bar and he lets go and his feet hit the ground, he's gonna be like, man, that was tough. What if he was hanging off a cliff? (laughs) He's gonna hold with a little more urgency because he knows that if he lets go, he will fall to his death. Well, we have to realize that we're playing a, a game of life and death. We have to hold to the word of life like our life depends on it. How long, Pastor? till Jesus comes. Because it's really Jesus that gets under us and holds us up and holds us to the standard that he calls us to. Do you realize that? God will allow you, he will enable you to walk to the standard that he demands of you. I think some of us this morning maybe don't realize that what he calls us to do, he also enables us to do. Amen? Thank God for that. And it says, any sacrificial Christian service should be to us as a mutual joy. If somebody sacrifices for Christ, it says, count it all joy. Let's look at this last little passage from Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Kind of shifts gears. He talks about Timothy. He talks about Epaphroditus and like all these things. So we're going to conclude it because this is part of the chapter. So it says, I hope in the Lord uh, Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may may be uh, cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it is going with me. I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also it said, and then in verse 25, it says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to, to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you hear that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill almost to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. He'd have been really bummed out if something would have happened. So verse 28 says, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we see these two guys. We got Timothy and... Um we have Epaphroditus, we have a, a who was the messenger who came to Paul that kind of brought him a care package. Well, while he was there, he got really, really sick and almost died. So he gets better, and then he sends him back, And but he's also sending Timothy. So when we look at Timothy, Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. So he was his spiritual son. He was in one thought. He was in one feeling. He was one, in one spirit with Paul. They were one soul. You ever had somebody that thinks like you, acts like you, and it's like, hey, if you send him, he's just like, I mean, it don't matter. Send me one of the two. They're exactly the same. But Paul was going to send Timothy to the church in, in Philippians uh, as close, as quick as he could. And he would hopefully come as soon as he could. And it was that it says, there was no one like him who has been proven as a priceless gift to Paul in his ministry. Pa- Timothy had Paul's heart and mutual genuine, genuine concern for the Philippian church's welfare. Timothy would be about God's business when sent. Paul quickly mentions that he trusts the Lord, that he himself will be released and able to come also. So he sends Timothy, you know why? Timothy wasn't in jail. And he knew that they, they needed oversight, they needed love, they needed consideration. And I'll tell you what, uh, I, I'm, I'm like that too. I don't want anybody on this pulpit or anybody speaking to you that is not gonna have the same heart, the same passion and the same concern. If I'm not here and somebody shows up and beats the sheep, I'm gonna beat them. I mean, that, it's that personal. I was like, man, if I show up and you just start nailing on my people, hey, Pastor, know we repent next Sunday. We're gonna go around back, the back acre. I'm just not gonna put. I'm not gonna put up with it. So the same thing. He was sending Timothy because he had the same heart. He had the same concern. He had the same love. He knew that they were gonna be well taken care of in sending Timothy. But if you if you have a spiritual son, this is what happens. So I want you to focus on that. There is a need for spiritual sons in the faith. Why does it matter? Can't the father do it? Well, guess what? The father was hung up in this situation, and the son could go. But what naturally happens in the life of a father? They can do less. They get older. And at some point, they pass away. If you continue to raise up spiritual sons, the sons will always go further than the father. So i got to have spiritual sons, all you spiritual fathers in the room. It's paramount and critical that you do. So i got to submit to a father? You should if you want to reap the benefits of that spiritual covering. You know, I don't think Timothy was like, this is horrible. I hate this. It was a blessing to both because there was covering, there was anointing, there was, a, there was kind of a, a melting of hearts together. They were of one spirit. But that's what God does. When he calls a spiritual father to a spiritual son, there's, always, there's already a lot of consistency. Now, as a spiritual father, does that mean that you're never gonna have to put up with the spiritual son's ignorance? No, that's exactly what you're gonna have to do because it's very similar to a physical father raising a physical son. There's a lot of head shaking. You're like, man, how long will you be with me? And you still don't understand. And if that isn't enough, Jesus said that with his disciples, and his disciples were with Jesus. So we really we see the apostles kind of as Jesus' spiritual sons, his disciples. So we see this model through Paul and Timothy that you have a spiritual father, you have a spiritual son, and when you have a spiritual son, a spiritual son, or sons, you can continue the work of ministry regardless of what happens. It's very important in the life of the church. You got me there? It's important. All right. So Epaphrodites, let's look at this real quick. So he was a messenger between the church and Paul. We see that in verses 25 through 30. So it says as a brother, so these are the characteristics. What was the difference? So we had a brother in Christ, a fellow worker and a soldier. Now, I don't I mean I don't know if he was like war or soldier or just like the work for Christ. Play on words. I didn't dig that deep into it, but it says soldier. It says he was a messenger and a minister to the needs of Paul. He became ill and he almost died in his time in Rome, but he was spared by the mercy of God. Then he was sent back to the church in Philippians with Paul's message that, guess what? We are reading today. He took it back to the church and they were able to read it. They were able to be encouraged through it all. And it says that the church was actually anxious about the health and his well-being. So we see that relationship. We see that fellowship. We see that connection to the church. Like, you know, if I'm gone and I'm sick, I hope you care about me. Like, you know, that, that was, that's really what it was. Man, I hope he's okay. Hey, we're praying for you. You know, hope you come back. And, you know, there was, there was mutual concern for who? Each other. Not just the well-being of themselves. So we see this kind of woven through this whole chapter. Right. And it says, so guys like this, men like Epaphrodites, who almost died for the work of Christ, risking their lives, are to be what? Honored. First, First Thessalonians 5.12, it says, respect those who labor among you and over you uh, in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in the Lord because of their work. So there is a commission and a command uh, to really respect and honor those who are in spiritual authority over you. Now, I didn't pick this passage to quote that one verse, okay? But it's important to understand spiritual covering. So spiritual covering is like an umbrella on a rainy day. And guess what? I hold the umbrella. So if you want to stay dry, you got to kind of come close and get under the covering of that umbrella, well, that's cool, pastor, I'll do that. Well, what about pastoral staff? What about pastoral leaders in the, in, the, in, the, in the church? It's exactly the same thing because guess what? It's like I had one big umbrella. Now I have a regular size umbrella, but I've given all my leaders umbrellas. If you wanna stay safe and out of the rain, it is in your best interest to come under that authority and to honor that authority. You know, uh, I have a real close friend of me he said, hey, how you treat authority is how you treat God. Ooh. well, I don't like that leader. huh? Take it up with God. You know, I really believe that people who have really been seated in an office of a spiritual position by God are the best people for the job. I've seen people work for position. I've seen people work for promotion and kind of force themselves into those offices. If they've done that, hey, I mean, God can work in that too. But most of the time, the successful ministers and those who are really walking a mantle of a gifting in the position in the house that God has placed them are placed by God, not forced by their own endeavors. So pastor, how are they placed? They're seen as good candidates. Just like Timothy was seen from Paul and he became a spiritual son. Spiritual leaders are smart to identify those within the flock, those within the body of Christ, that God has a mantle of calling on their life. You don't have to work that hard if the mantle is on you. I'll see it. God will see it. The elders will see it. The leaders of the church will see it. All you gotta do is say, pastor, I just want to get into the same goal. If I'm a pastor, teacher, preacher, apostle, prophet, whatever, whatever title you think God's calling you to, if that's what he's called you to, great. Guess what? It'll make room for you. But I think we all have to, what, be pursuing the same end zone. We got to all be trying to get to the same place. Hey, what if somebody grabs a ball and runs the wrong way? Man, somebody please tackle that guy. Going the wrong way. You know, the scripture talks about that the Holy Spirit determines which gifts, which callings, which offices. So don't stress out about what God has called you to or what he's built you to be. Just be willing to radically say, Lord, whatever you need me to do, just like Jesus did, even to the point of death, I will walk in obedience to what you need me to do. You say, Pastor, how in the world would I walk that out? in the same grace that Christ did. A day at a time, a step at a time, a choice at a time, moment by moment, from act of obedience to act of obedience. You know, Jesus, you know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, if this cup could pass from me, it'd be nice. Man, think about the emotions as God was asked that request. And he says, no, son, this is the cup that you're called to bear. But the good thing about God, he sees the other side of glory. (laughs) He sees the other side of the cross. Does it hurt the heart of God when we go through trials and tribulations and and really have pain and hard struggles in this life? Absolutely. But we gotta be mindful. The place we are in today in humanity was never God's original plan. He desired fellowship with us, to walk in the cool of the garden all day to never be separated from him. That was his heart. Guess who messed it up? These guys. But thank God, Jesus fixed it all up. He redeemed it. I don't know why I'm going on this rabbit trail. Somebody needs to know that this morning. God does not mess up, but he picks up everything we mess up and uses it for his glory. So what are these final principles from this chapter? Promote Christian humility. Every single one of us. Learn from Christ's modeled humility. Look at what Jesus did. Practice what He did. Do what He did. Ask for His heart. Number three, work out your salvation, how? With fear and trembling. Don't give up. Hold on to that rope. Don't let loose. Number four, give God's word, work in you time to work. I think sometimes we just want, all right, man, I'm good. Man, let God's, let that work happen in you. Sometimes it can happen in a moment. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than we would like, but trust God's work in you. Number five, keep a good attitude and live at peace with other believers. You're the only one that can control your attitude. You can have a good attitude, you can have a horrible attitude, but it's up to you. Number six, respect and honor spiritual authority that God positions over you. Remember, they're the umbrella in your life that will keep you out of the rain. You guys, stand up with me. We'll close, we'll get out of here. You're like, Pastor, we got all of this from one chapter. Oh yeah. There's probably more there than I got. But there's so much richness in his word. And some of us are so guilty of very rarely reading it. Now, some of you say, well, Pastor, I'm not a reader. Man, you know what? Do you realize there are Bible apps that will read the Bible for you? And then if you still ain't got time, you know you can speed it up to one and a half times, two times the speed. Now, you get going too fast, it sounds like the chipmunk singing to you. You can't understand what it's saying anyway. But we are in a technology age where you are without excuse. When you're sitting in the kid pickup line, have you ever been there, you know, that's like the waste of my life. Play the scripture. You got a little bit of moment there. You know, because I tell you what, when I pick up grace, ain't no silent moment then. Hey, daddy, I'm opening my bag. She don't even ask. She just opens it. It's game over. But I got 10 or 15 minutes of uninterrupted time that I can just get on my phone that's connected to my car stereo. It'll read the Bible to me. This is what will change your life. This is the roadmap of what the next step looks like for you. Most of us don't know what to do because we don't know what the word says. But if we know enough of the word, you know, we can live life. It's kind of like red light, green light. We know when it's a red light. We know when it's a green light. What happens when we know it's a red light and we floor it? Consequences could be bad, right? It's one thing to be not, it's one thing to be naive and not know, and really, really not knowing what the scripture says. Shame on us when we know and we're not obedient to it. How many of you have been enjoying going through this book? It's different for me. Like, I'm like, man, I don't ever really preach. Like, I like to stay on one focus. Like, I feel like I'm like a ping pong ball jumping around and you know but I I really believe that as we go through this God is going to get you what you need he's going to spread a banqueting table before you and say come and eat till you've had your full and I pray you leave this place this morning full if you need to stick around and get a little bit more full come on I won't close the door on you I just say hey lock up when you leave but God wants to fill you in every single way Now, I'm gonna pray this morning before I release you that when you leave this place, you will be full. You know, I heard a story one time of a pastor that had a vision. And he says, uh, I looked outside and as as I was walking to my car, because he was the last one to his car, usually pastors, last ones to leave. And he says, as he walked out in the parking lot, he just saw little, like little rivers all over the place. And And he walked out there and he says, man, Lord, what is this? He says, well, that's what I poured into people. And the pastor said, but why is it all over the ground? He says, because the people are not healthy and whole and I'm pouring out and I'm filling up, but there's so many wounds and things in their life that it's just seeping out. May our parking lot be empty because you have the health and wholeness to take it with you. So this morning... If that's you and you say, Pastor, I got something specific that I I feel like I got holes in my vessel right now. Things that I'm dealing with, things that I'm going through that I need God to just plug that hole. I need him to heal that in my life. And you know what that is? Come forward right now. We're gonna pray with you. If that's you, I mean, you either know it's you or you know it's not. It's up to you. I'm not gonna twist anybody's arm to come up. I want you healthy and I want you whole. I don't care how big this church gets if we are not a healthy church. So we're big, man. We're got all kinds of spiritual sickness and disease, but I want us to be healthy and whole. We'll keep the altar open. I'm going to pray for you and, and we'll dismiss you and But if that's something you say, man, I just need something specific, we got prayer teams available for you. So Lord, I thank you for each one here this morning, each family, each individual, Father, each one that you have called with a purpose and a plan. And Father, I pray that today that all of the wounds, Father, would begin to be healed. All of those things that are allowing your word really just to kind of seep out because of a broken vessel, that today that vessels would be restored that today vessels would be healed. Father, that we would be carriers of the, of the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that everything deposited, Lord, would be taken with us. Father, that we might take this living water that we've received and give it to a lost and dying world. Father, I pray that today for health, for wholeness, for restoration. Father, I pray that today that your word would really be a lamp unto our feet Father, that when we don't know where to go and we don't know how to navigate, Father, that your word would enlighten the path before us. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the church. I thank you for your spirit that lives inside of us. And Father, I thank you for the work that you are doing in and through us. Father, that your work is never done but we'll trust you to bring it into completion. We will trust you to bring it into completion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.